Yeah, I'm ready to start. So, good afternoon, everyone. Ready to go with Visuddhi Manga. Robin, you want to take it? Sure, we're on Chapter 6, page 169, Foulness as a Meditation Subject. And Aurora, can you start us off? Now, ten kinds of foulness as corpses without consciousness were listed next after the casinos, thus, the bloated, the livid, the festering, the cut up, the gnawed, the scattered, the hacked and scattered, the bleeding, the worm infested, a skeleton. The bloated. It is bloated because bloated by gradual dilation and swelling after the close of life, as a bellows is with wind. What is bloated is the same as the bloated, or alternatively, what is bloated is vile because of repulsiveness, but it is the bloated. This is a term for corpse in that particular state. The livid. What has patchy discoloration is called livid. What is livid is the same as the livid. Or alternatively, what is livid is vile because of repulsiveness. Thus, it is the livid. This is a term for a corpse that is reddish-colored in places where flesh is prominent, whitish-colored in places where pus has collected, but mostly blue-black as if draped with blue-black cloth in the blue-black places. The festering. What is trickling with pus in broken places is festering. What is festering is the same as the festering. Or alternatively, what is festering is vile because of repulsiveness. Thus it is the festering. This is the term for a corpse in that particular state. Sanka, can you read the next one, number four? Yes. The cut-up. What has been opened up by cutting it in two is called cut-up. Uh, uh, what is cut-up is the same as the cut-up. Alternatively, uh, what is cut-up is vile. Kuchitta. Uh, because of repulsiveness, thus it is the cut-up, which is the This is a term for a corpse cut in the middle. No, cannot. What has been chewed here and there in various ways by dogs, jackals, etc., is what is not. What is not is the same as the or alternatively, what is not is vile because of repulsiveness, thus it is the gnod. This is a term for a corpse in, the, in that particular state. The scattered. What is strewn about is scattered. What is scattered is the same as the scattered. Or alternatively, what is scattered is vile because of repulsiveness, that it, thus it is the scattered. What he's trying to do here is, is explain the cut on the end, which um, isn't really all that necessary. This is just a derivation, but 
I guess the point is we keep that uh, and so on can stand on its own as an adjective. So the question is, why do you have to add ka on the ending? Because wikita is already an adjective. So we, wikita ka is, um, I mean, wikita ka is, could be considered the noun. Wikita, right, wikita is an adjective meaning, via, uh, meaning scattered in this example. And wikita ka is that which is, the ka on the end is actually nika. It's another one of these suffixes that starts with the N with the dot under it where the N disappears and you should see some lengthening of vowels as a result of the N. So it's the Nika, Acheya Nika suffix, which becomes Ka. We Kita Ka. I'm not quite sure about that, but anyway, it comes to be a Ka on the ending. Um, it doesn't really have to have anything to do with kuchita. I think that's more of a uh, instructive etymology than a historical one. Probably isn't where it comes from. It's just adding ka on the end makes it that which is. Anyway, this is a term for a corpse that is strewed here and there in this way. Here a hand, there a foot, there the head. The hack and scatter. It is hacked and it is scattered in the way just described. Thus, it is hacked and scattered. Hatawi kitaka. This is a term for a corpse scattered in the way just described after it has been hacked with a knife in a crow's foot pattern on every limb. The bleeding. It sprinkles, karate, scatters blood, and it trickles here and there. Thus, it is the bleeding. This is a term for a corpse smeared with trickling blood. The worm infested. It is maggots that are called worms. It sprinkles worms. Thus it is worm infested. This is the term for a corpse full of maggots. A skeleton, bone, atti, is the same as skeleton, attika. Or alternatively born atti is wild kuchita because of repulsiveness. Thus it is a skeleton attika. This is a term for both for a single bone and for a framework of bones. These names are also used both for the signs that arise with the bloated etc. as their support and for the jhanas obtained in the signs. Herein, when a meditator wants to develop the jhana called of the bloated, by arousing the sign of the bloated on a bloated body, he should, in the way already, des already described, approach a teacher of the kind mentioned under the earth casino and learn the meditation, meditation subject from him. In explaining the meditation subject to him, the teacher should explain it all, that is, the directions for going with the aim of acquiring the sign of foulness, the characterizing of the surrounding signs, the eleven ways of apprehending the sign, the reviewing of the path gone by and come by, concluding with the directions for absorption. And when the meditator has learnt it all well, he should go to an abode of the kind already, de already described and live there while seeking the sign of the bloated. So it's bypassing much, as I said it would, 
of uh, that, that was already described in the uh, section on Patavikasila. The rest are just going to be, uh, in many ways, they're similar. The development is similar. Meanwhile, when he hears people saying that at some village gate or on some road or at some forest's edge or at the base of some rock or at the root of some tree or on some charnel ground a bloated corpse is lying, he should not go there at once like one who plunges into a river where there is no ford. Why not? Because this foulness is beset by wild beasts and non-human beings and he might risk his life there. Or perhaps... The way to go to it goes by a village gate or a bathing place or an irrigated field, and there are visible object of the opposite sex might come into focus. Or perhaps the body is of the opposite sex, for a female body is unsuitable for a man and a male body for a woman. If only recently dead, it may even look beautiful. Hence, there might be danger to the life of purity. But if he judges himself thus, this is not difficult for one like me, then he can go there. And when he goes, and when he goes, he should do so only after he has spoken to the senior elder of the community, or to some well well known bhikkhu. Why? Because if all his limbs are seized with uh, shuddering at uh, the charnel ground, or if his gorge rises when he is confronted with uh, disagreeable objects such as visible forms and sounds of non-human beings lions, tigers, etc., or something else afflicts, afflicts him, then he whom he told will have his bowl and robe well looked after in the monastery, or he will care for him by sending yambikus or novices to him. Besides, robbers may make this thinking a channel ground, a safe place for them whether or not they have done anything wrong. And when men chase them, they drop their goods near the bhikkhu and run away. Perhaps the man sees the, sees the bhikkhu, saying, We have found the thief with the goods, and bully them, bully him. Then he whom he he whom he told will explain to the man, do not bother him. He went to do this special work after telling me, and he will re rescue him. This is the advantage of going only after informing someone. Therefore, he should inform a bhikkhu of the kind described and then set out eager to see the sign and as happy and joyful as a warrior noble on his way to the scene of anointing as one going to offer libations at the hall of sacrifice or as a pauper on his way to unearth a hidden treasure and he should go there in the way advised by the commentaries. For this is said, one who is learning the bloated sign of foulness goes alone with no companion, with unremitting mindfulness established, with his sense faculties turned inwards, with his mind not turned outwards, 
reviewing the path gone by and come by. In the place where the bloated sign of foulness has been left, he notes any stone or termite mound or tree or bush or creeper, there each with its particular sign and in relation to the object. When he has done this, he characterizes the bloated sign of foulness by the fact of its having attained that particular individual essence. Then he sees that the sign is properly apprehended and that it is properly remembered, that it is by proper that it is properly defined by its color, by its mark, by its shape, by its direction, by its location, by its delimitation, by its joints, by its openings, by its concavities, by its convexities, and all around. When he has properly apprehended the sign, properly remembered it, properly defined it, he goes alone with no companion, with unremitting mindfulness established, with his sense faculties turned inwards, with his mind not turned outwards, reviewing the path gone by and come by. When he walks, he resolves that his walk is oriented towards it. When he sits, he prepares a seat that is oriented towards it. What is the purpose? What is the advantage of characterizing the surrounding signs? Characterizing the surrounding signs has no delusion for its purpose. It has no delusion for its advantage. What is the purpose? What is the advantage of apprehending the sign in the other 11 ways? Apprehending the sign in the other 11 ways has anchoring the mind for its purpose. It has anchoring the mind for its advantage. What is the purpose? What is the advantage of reviewing the path gone by and come by? Reviewing the path gone by and come by has keeping the mind on the track for its purpose. It has keeping the mind on track for its advantage. When he has established reverence for it by seeing its advantages and by perceiving it as a treasure and so come to love it, he anchors his mind upon that object. Surely in this way I shall be liberated from aging and death. Quite secluded from sense desires, secluded from unprofitable things, he enters upon and dwells in the first jhana, seclusion. He has arrived in the first jhana at the fine material sphere. His is a heavenly abiding and an instance of the meritorious action consisting in meditative development. So if he goes to the charnel ground to test his control of mind, let him do so after striking the gong or summoning a chapter. If he goes there mainly for developing that meditation or su meditation subject, let him go alone with no companion, without renouncing his basic meditation subject and keeping it always in mind, taking a, taking a walking stick or a staff to keep off attacks by dogs, etc. Ensuring unremitting mindfulness by establishing it well with his mind not turned outwards because he has ensure, ensured that his faculties of which his mind is the sixth are turned inwards as he goes out of the monastery he should note the gate i have gone out in such a direction by such a gate after that he should define the path by which he goes. This path goes in an 
easterly direction, westerly, northerly, southerly direction, or it goes in an intermediate direction, and in this place it goes. To the left, in this place, to the right, and in this place, there is a stone. In this termite mount, in this a tree, in this a bush, in this a creeper. He should go to the place where the sign is, defining this way. Path by which he goes. The point here is to keep mindfulness and to set up a continuous mindfulness. It's kind of an easing into, so that by the time the meditator arrives at the charnel ground, they are able to be objective. Because the idea is, in some ways, this is going to be a difficult subject. Potentially cause the meditator some mental turmoil when they smell or see or so on. So. Uh, but but this is sort of a common idea throughout the meditation teachings of uh, the continuity, the importance of continuity. So not ever giving up one's pra- one's mindfulness, even when not doing formal practice. And he should not approach it upwind, for if he did so, and the smell of corpses assailed assailed his nose, his brain might get upset. Or he might throw up his food, or he might repent his coming, thinking, "What a place of corpses I have come to." So instead of approaching it upwind, he should go downwind. If he cannot go by a downwind path, if there is a mountain or a ravine or a rock or a fence or a patch of thorns, or a, or water or a bog in this way, then he should go stopping his nose with the corner of his robe. These are the duties in going. When he has gone there in this way, he should not at once look at the sign of foulness. He should make sure of the direction, for perhaps if he stands in a certain direction, the object does not appear clearly to him, and his mind is not wieldy. So rather than there, he should stand where the object appears clearly and his mind is wieldy, and he should avoid standing to leeward or to windward of it. For if he stands to leeward, he is bothered by the corpse smell, and his mind strays. And if he stands to windward, and non-human beings are dwelling there, they may get annoyed and do him a mischief. So he should move round a little and not stand too much to windward. Then he should stand not too far off or too near, or too much towards the feet or the head. For if he stands too far off. The object is not clear to him, and if he stands too near, he may get frightened. If she stands too much toward the feet or the head, not all the foulness becomes manifest to her equally. So she should not stand too far off or too near, opposite the middle of the body, in a place conveni- convenient for her to look at. Then he should characterize the surrounding signs in the way stated thus: in the place where the bloating sign. Of foulness has been left. He notes any stones, or creeper, 
there in its sign. These are the directions for characterizing them. If there is a rock in the eye's focus near the sign, he should define it in this way. This rock is high or low, small or large, brown or black or white, long or round, after which he should observe the relative positions thus. In this place, this is a rock. This is the sign of foulness. This is the sign of foulness. This is a rock. If there's a termite mound, he should define it in this way. This is high or low, small or large, brown or black, or white, long or round, after which he should observe the relative positions thus. In this place, there's a termite mound. This is the sign of foulness. If there is a tree, he should define it in this way. This is a apple fig tree or a ban banyan fig tree or a pachaka fig tree or a patita fig tree. It is tall. It is tall or short, small or large, black or white, after which he should observe the relative positions. Thus, in this place, this is a tree. This is a, this is a sign of fondness. If there is a bush, he should define it in this way. This is a Sindhi bush, or a Karamanda bush, or a Kanavira bush, or a Korandaka bush. It is tall or short, small or large. After which you should observe the relative positions thus. In this place there is a bush. This is the sign of foulness. If there is a creeper, he should define it in this way. This is a pumpkin creeper, or a gourd keeper, creeper, or a brown creeper, or a black creeper, or a stinking creeper, after which he should observe the relative positions thus. In this place, this is a creeper. This is the sign of foulness. This is the sign of foulness. This is a creeper. The point here is to separate them. He's not saying that the creeper is foul, etc. He's saying, here's this corpse, and here's this other thing. It's, um, this, you know, a lot of this is incredibly, incredibly pedantic and... and uh, you might, what do you say, uh, overly rigid. But the point is to not leave anything to chance and to make it totally, I mean, scientific. It's like setting up a double-blind study or a, a, a sterile lab or something like that. I mean, this isn't nearly, you could go a lot worse than this, but this is taking extra precautions to be completely sure and we should appreciate it. I think we shouldn't discard this sort of preparation as being unnecessary. We often are quick to just jump in and try something, which is really the lazy way. Setting it up like this is definitely, you know, the, the, this idea of setting things up in such a rich, stru structured fashion is uh, definitely not to be underestimated. Yeah, I think actually if I was approaching a dead body, I'd be just taking my time and observing everything and trying to buy a little time too. So Bhante, if uh, now the meditator observes all these other objects and uh, 
he takes uh, them as a sign of foulness. And if no, he they, sees... are, they are not. They are not the sign of foulness. They are other than the sign of foulness. The sign of foulness is referring to the corpse. Okay. So, but he still uh, identifies them, right? He identifies them as what they are, as being separate to the actual sign of foulness, which is the body. So he's defining different parts to his surroundings. Here's the body, here's a bush. Here's the body, here's a tree. This kind of thing. I see. Okay, thank you. Um, Bonte, I was going to ask a question. Just um, sometimes, uh, just in day-to-day -day activity, we actually run across dead bodies of uh, animals and things like this. And whenever I see them, I kind of am affected by that. And I don't know if I've ever had a chance to actually go to a charnel ground, but that kind of is like a an opportunistic charnel ground, I suppose. Not not quite this detailed, though. Well, it's actually, I think, quite different. Um, that being affected by it, you, you want it's something you want to avoid. It's not actually, I don't think, considered beneficial to have that reaction. So you're trying to avoid that. What you're trying to gain. You're trying to here cultivate the objectivity in advance before you actually look at the body, so that when you look at it, you're able to enter into actually the jhana. The idea here, maybe not the jhana, but we're trying to get to a very calm state. It might just be upacara. I can't remember. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bhante, wouldn't it uh, help uh, meditation if you're kind of shocked by it? Um, not quite, almost, but it's more, it would, it would bring about agitation. Actual marananusati is the reflection on, on death, which can also lead to agitation. But, I mean, it's, it's definitely related. Death is something that shocks you. But marananusati is, 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 I would say, more like the reflection, where you actually think about death. It's not, not looking at something that is dead. Okay. Yeah, that's probably more akin to kind of the affectedness that I feel when I see just a random dead animal or something. Yeah, being affected like that may not be wholesome. I'm not sure. Maybe it uh, would help to become vigilant. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, any 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 experience like that can. And is usually helpful. So, I mean, okay. if you're a person who takes uh, everything for everything for granted, like thinking that everything is perfect and permanent and lasting. Yeah, except the actual experience of seeing a dead body. I'm not sure that that actually is is that. Um, I mean, it may instigate the reflection that is, oh, yes, I too will die. But often it's just repulsion, which is, I think, negative. I think unwholesome. Maybe it should be the same as uh, Prince, what Prince Siddhartha thought when he saw a dead body. 
Yeah, but the point is he had um, wisdom and he uh, he had never seen, it was a surprise to him that such a thing existed. He didn't realize that it was possible to get old, sick or die. You know, think of many people who when they see a dead body, they just don't want to see it and they run away from it and they, they totally shut it down and it actually becomes um, a cause for increased aversion to even thinking about death. It doesn't actually help many people to see a dead body. It just makes them uh, uh, hate, it, hate death even more, you know, be less prepared for death. So this seems like it's really just really taking your time and just making sure you're ready for it when you when you finally get there. Yeah, I think there's an argument for that being important that it's not always good. It's not it's often not good to see dead people or so on. That if your mind's not in the right place, it can traumatize you and it can make you uh, hate death even more and be less uh, ready to accept and to let go at the moment of death. I think there's an argument for that. When I when I drive in the road and if I see um animal body on the side I I usually um say to myself uh take refuge to uh Buddha, take refuge to Sangha, take refuge to Dharma and wish them not to be become animal for the next life kind of um, blessing to them calm myself down there you go I, I think that actually uh, sort of adds to the point of how important it is to calm yourself down and how much better it is to uh, enter into the calm state but what we're talking about here is having approached it from that calm state where you can actually be objective because the, the point is that it's so so shocking to us um, but the uh, the key is to use that power of the experience objective in an, from an objective point of view without any of the reaction reactivity to let it open you up uh, and to to let the power just uh, pull push you forward towards uh, towards at least a, a calm state. Bhante, are these type of meditation subjects still done today? Still taught to monks and things? Oh yeah, absolutely. This one in particular, there's lots of uh, meditation on dead bodies going on, especially in Sri Lanka. Not that much, a little bit in Thailand, but a lot in Sri Lanka, from what I hear. Yeah, but uh, I don't think it's easy to find bloated bodies anymore. <laughs> right, no, mostly just dead and cut up, but in the morgue. Right. I think we're on number 34. Also, with its particular sign and in relation to the object was said, 
but that is included by what has just been said, for he characterizes it with its particular sign when he divines it again and again, and he characterizes it in relation to the object when he defines it by combining it each time in pairs thus. This is a rock. This is the sign of foulness. This is the sign of foulness. This is a rock. Having done this, again, he should bring to mind the fact that it has an individual essence, its own state of being bloated, which is not common to anything else, since it was said that he defines it by the fact of it having attained that particular individual essence. The meaning is that it should be defined according to individual essence, according to its own nature, as the inflated, the bloated. Having defined it in this way, he should, he should apprehend the sign in the following six ways. That is to say, by its color, by its mark, by its shape, by its direction, by its location, by its delimitation, how? The meditator should define it by its color thus. This is the body of one who is black or white or yellow-skinned. Instead of defining it by female mark or the male mark, he should define it by its mark thus. This is the body of one who who was in the first phase of life, in the middle phase of, in the middle phase, in the last phase. By its shape, he should define it only by the shape of the bloated. Thus, this is the shape of its head. This is the shape of its neck. This is the shape of its hand. This is the shape of its chest. This is the shape of its belly. This is the shape of its navel. This is the shape of its hips. This is the shape of its thigh. This is the shape of its calf. This is the shape of its foot. He should define it by its direction thus. There are two directions in this body, that is, down from the navel is the lower direction, and up from it as the upper direction. Or alternatively, he can define it thus. I am standing in this direction. The sign of foulness is in that direction. He should define it by its location thus. The hand is in this location, the foot in this, the head in this, the middle of the body in this. Or alternatively, he can define it thus. I am in this location. The sign of foulness is in that. He should define it by its delimitation thus. This body is delimited below by the soles of the feet, above by the tips of the hair, all around by the skin. The space so delimited is filled up with 32 pieces of corpse. Or alternatively, he can define it thus. This is the delimitation of its hand. This is the delimitation of its foot. This is the delimitation of its head. This is the delimitation of the middle part of its body. Or alternatively, he can delimit as much of it as he has apprehended thus. Just this much of the bloated is like this. Okay, I'm going to suggest that we stop there where I know we, we started way late, but 
some people probably have to leave, so I don't think we should uh, go on too much longer. We almost got half done there. Hopefully next time we'll finish it off. So let's take a break, five minutes or ten minutes, and we'll come back and do Polly. <laughs>